Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a fitness tracker that provides daily insight into your recovery, your strain, and your sleep. You might have seen it on the wrist of Rory as he won the Tour Championship or other Tour players. I had to find out more, so I reached out, got my own band, talked to some of the folks at Whoop, and I was blown away. And then, lucky enough, they wanted to support and sponsor the podcast and let more folks know about it as well. Here are the three things you need to know. There's three metrics, strain, recovery, and sleep. Strain is for those that are looking to track more than just steps. Track how strenuous your day is from start to finish. And this is key, get insight into how much you exert yourself during training. The second one is recovery. That is so you can get daily insight into how ready your body is to perform by looking at some biometrics such as heart rate variability, resting heart rate, and sleep performance. The last one is sleep. It's all about optimizing the way that you sleep by getting target sleep times based on how strenuous your day was and your performance goals. You can monitor your sleep stages, cycles, time in bed, actual sleep, sleep efficiency, and so much more. And, you know, the best players in the world are paying attention to this, as we found out from the Whoop CEO, Will Ahmed. You know, Justin Thomas was telling me how obsessed he is with sleep. This is a guy who will just get up in the middle of dinner to go to bed if he feels like he's not going to bed at the appropriate time because he knows that he has to get a certain number of hours of sleep in order to feel that recovered, in order to feel, you know, peak on the day of the tournament or, you know, even on the weekends, right? Uh, he was saying that he actually had a green recovery on the Sunday of leading the BMW tournament. I think that's pretty cool, right? You know, normally when you're leading the tournament, you're going to feel an additional level of stress. In his case, it was the opposite because he's figured out ways to to train his body and and to use Whoop. Definitely check this out and learn more about Whoop. It's w h o o p dot com. Use the code GSL for fifteen percent off your membership. That is GSL. Definitely go check out Whoop dot com. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking to the leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are going to be doing a bit of a gear dive with one of the most interesting guys in this world of science and gear. It is Paul Wood. He's the VP of engineering over at Ping and always has some really interesting things to share. We've sat down with him in the past. Today, we are talking a little bit about irons and wedges, some of these kind of concepts and conversations that you might not have thought about before you listen to Paul's insights. This is really, really cool. I enjoyed going behind the scenes. And if you want kind of a visual aspect of this, make sure to go to the post. We have some pictures. Also, we have a video with Paul kind of explaining this as well. So really good conversation. Enjoyed this. This was done at the Top 100 Summit uh, at Pinehurst. We sat down, had a great chat. Let's dive in to this conversation. So this week, you're sitting down Top 100 Summit to talk about some interesting stuff. We're talking about wedges, talking about irons, and kind of how you guys try to push the envelope and how you know if something's better or not, which is very interesting. You, talk, you were talking about the struggles of, with a driver, a little more simple, you get to an iron, you get to a wedge, not as simple. 
Yeah. So, I mean, in essence, you know, we're, we're a performance company. We're a company built on engineering principles, right? The company was founded on the principle that higher moment of inertia leads to more forgiveness in every club in the bag, which is a, which is a fundamental engineering principle. That's easy to prove that it's working. And, and yeah, we were talking earlier about like with drivers, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a one trick pony. I mean, I know there's slight variations in what you do with a driver, but you can't fake a driver test. It either has higher ball speed and better launch and spin and, and, and just longer and straighter more often, or, or it doesn't. And it's quite easy to test in a sense. It's hard to make driver prototypes and it's a lot of research and science that goes into it. But the testing was one that I think most people could set up quite easily. Here's driver A, here's driver B, hit some shots and we'll see which one went longer and straighter. When you get into something like blade irons, player's irons, where the player isn't just hitting their stock iron shot all the time, right? At my level of golf, just making good contact and, and getting it going straight down the middle is perfectly acceptable. But you get into kind of scratch golfers and, and, and better, and that's not the mentality. When we work with, with tour players on, are these irons working for you? Are they better? It's only a small part of it is sit on the range and like, check my stock trajectory that's more like let's just check the line was okay let's check these shafts are working for me but in terms of is this shape of iron actually helping you hit the shots you want to hit on the course it's more complicated yeah. so the idea is how do you test and measure performance when it's a more complicated thing um, and the same applies to particularly wedges and putters where you're not trying to do just one thing with them you need your wedge to work from wherever you find yourself on the course so just standing on the range and hitting full swings or hitting a comfortable yardage, like a 50-yarder off the fairway, isn't really testing what you're going to get on the course. So we've been doing some kind of fun stuff in that area. So I'm guessing that a lot of what you hear when you're testing irons with, with players is it's like aesthetics or feel or stuff like that. It's not so data-driven. With a driver, you can prove like, hey, you should play this driver. I don't know if you saw, but you just picked up. X number of ball speed, right? Like, right. It's right there in front of you. And, yeah. and, and almost everyone, you know, we know that sound and feel is important on a driver, but almost everyone is swayed by, hey, hey, was that 10 yards longer? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll get used to that sound. Right. Or, you know, <laughs> um, you're right. I think when people talk about, especially better players, irons, and then almost everyone wedges and putters, it's much more about feel and sound and feedback. And, and you're less talking about the numbers. Yeah. But the performance is there. So the challenge for us as equipment designers is how do you blend the engineering with the psychology, with the way it makes you feel? And how do, you, how do we prove to ourselves, we're in the business of helping you play your best. How do we prove that it's actually helping you play your best when, when that's a tricky thing to do? Yeah, because with our with irons and wedges, it's so variable, right? Like we don't, on the course, you're going to face There's just a lot of, of variety. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're, not measuring, you're not measuring your iron performance based on... I took a full swing with my seven iron and it went five yards longer. That might be how you judge it on the range or how you judge it sometimes in a fitting, but on the course, it's, did it go where I wanted? And, you know, it was, there's a certain ball flight I was trying to visualize and did it actually do that? And so we've done some really fun research and, and the blueprint iron for us was a perfect example of we, if we're going to develop a really small sort of seemingly low technology iron, we really need to understand, is that helping players play better or is it just making them think they play better or is it not helping them at all? Well, that, obviously, we don't want to make an iron that players think is better, but is actually harming them. 
So we're trying to f- figure out, are we at least doing no harm and preferably are we helping the players? So we did quite a lot of research in sort of building what you might call like a skills challenge. So rather than saying, here's the iron, hit a bunch of full swing shots and we'll see what happens. We actually kind of say, right, this next shot, I need you to hit this kind of shot. And we let the player define what success looks like. And we ideally work with the player on what are the types of shots you want to hit. And then we'll build this test where we kind of put you through a skills challenge and make you hit some of those shots and then have you define, did that work? Did that not? And that was really enlightening, helping us actually really show, yeah, there is a difference with something like a a blueprint iron with better players. They're able to, to hit their particularly lateral, so left, right, ball flight shape they're looking for more often, so on demand. So if I give you a huge cavity back iron versus a small blade iron and ask you to hit, all right, I'll hit a baby fade, hit a little draw, hit, hit some different shots, we were able to prove that players were able to do that more often with a smaller blade, which hmm. is kind of interesting. So was that like a nine, like a, a classic, like nine shot test? Yeah, kind of well, deal one of the, that so one did, of the learnings was that even for really good players, like doing the kind of nine windows in a test environment was actually pretty tough. Like having to think at like both high, low and kind of left, right, bull flight at the same time and having to do it on demand shot after shot was, was actually too tough for most players. So we ended for up like going, tour players. even for like, yeah, I mean, we, we were obviously we're working with maybe folks just one, one level yeah. down in testing. Like yeah. it's, it's, there's a limit to how much time we're going to take with the tour player on testing. We will work with them, but it's harder to say, right, you're going to be with us for the next two hours and we're going to prescribe this test. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so what we ended up doing was kind of settling on more of like a four-flight type test where it's high, low, draw, fade, and just kind of measuring shots on that. And not it was just a little – to have both factors in there at the same time, right, this has got to be high draw or low fade was – and they got a little – a little messier and it was um so we the skills test is more of like a four ball flight type test so you would you would test them with a different iron and then you'd take them to the new iron and see their ability to like just the differences in performance from that or yeah so you could look you look at the numbers the sort of traditional you know the ball speed launch spin curve on the shot that kind of stuff but we also have a lot of if you it's hard to define what you're viewing in your head as a ball flight and so we can we can do some of that, try to look at the data and understand, do we think this went where you intended? But honestly, it's a lot easier just to ask you, right, on a scale of one to five, how did that go for you? And the player is pretty good at defining success, right? If you've played a lot of golf, you know what success looks like. And so you can actually kind of pull away from the data a bit and look at the qualitative and then go back into the data and go, right, what when the guy hits a five out of five shot, what's the data that matches that? And so you can sort of have the data feed feed him backwards how much do you think of that is is placebo effect or how do you guys kind of well mitigate that? yeah and that's um you know it's, it's a great it's a great point that's one of the questions we're trying to answer is, is there some sort of mechanical advantage or engineer you know hard engineering advantage to this blueprint style very small very thin sole, or is it purely psychological because it could that could be a real effect too if yeah. it, you just think you're gonna putters are a great example of that right if you're feeling confident you'll putt well with almost any putter like it that psychology can kind of at least in the short term can kind of overwhelm the engineering 
we, to the best of our knowledge, we've, we've done quite a bit of testing to try to tease that out. And, and I think there is still, even when you take the placebo side out, there's still some data that shows a mechanical advantage for good players who have high swing speed. That's kind of the combination that effectively this, what the smaller iron is doing is allowing you to have a better fine control over the face and give you a better face control at the expense of if you do miss hit around the face, it's not going to go as well. Right? This higher inertia just helps. It's a flat-out help of if you miss one off to the toe, you're going to get a more consistent flight if you miss one to the heel. But for better players, that equation kind of works out. That trading off a little face control and path control for a little bit less forgiveness of misses works. Hmm. Whereas for a 20 handicapper, that's not a trade-off you want to make. So, like, I don't know how to how to explain. Is there a simple way to explain, like, the better results that you saw with the blueprint irons compared to... What were you comparing against? I guess that's a that's another question. But, like, is there a simple way to say, like, here are the advantages that we saw over over the testing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, so, uh, yeah, it's interesting. So, we weren't, we weren't really replacing an iron in the line. So, we did a little bit of testing against some of the other clubs out there in the same category we did a fair amount of testing so for our ping customers effectively what's coming out of their bag would be like an, an eye blade right that's right. the nearest iron that we offered so we, kind of our benchmark was testing against the eye blade okay. and what you find is that for some players the eye blade, eye blade still works better for mm. others the blueprint works better but we're tending to see it in in the skills test in like successful completion of the task effectively successfully hitting the shots that you're wanting on demand more often. And you can still put some stats to that. We're also actually seeing it. We did some really interesting tests indoors just in our Enzo. That's our motion capture system where you could see just a better, we call them stat areas, but dispersion plot from just full swings. And the res and it was a, as a result of basically a better standard deviation in the face angle on the path. So basically more control of the face. We did one really interesting test that was, three irons that were all basically identical and all we changed was blade length. So we just made, the technology was the same, the CG's kind of the same, everything, you know, the grooves are the same, the finish is the same, geometry's the same. The only thing we did was kind of make a shorter blade length, a medium and a longer. And the shortest blade length had the tightest face angle control, which was really interesting. So then the question is, is it, is it an aim small, miss small? Yeah. Or well, it's like this, a constraint, right? Like, right. And so what we, another test we did was to try to do same three size irons. Oh, no, sorry. All just the middle size irons. So the irons are exactly the same. But what we changed was the kind of groove, like what you could visually see. Yeah. So you could kind of try to get some of the same. Well, if we take out the mechanics, it's the same iron. And all we've done now is give you a smaller aim by having like a, like a thinner... Sure. section of grooves or a wider section and we saw absolutely no difference at all in that test so i think it doesn't completely prove it but it at least lends weight to the idea that it's more than just a psychology it is the fact that you have a basically it's a lower moment of inertia around the hosel so as, as you're trying to kind of close the face of the iron you have to put a torque on it mm -hmm. gamma torque and golf coach speak i'm sure you've heard that term plenty you require, the golfer requires less torque to close the face. Okay. And so I think it's the fact that there's a lower torque there that's, that's actually giving players just a better fine-tuning control. So you think it's more about that than like the constraint of you visually see that 
I think so, because we tried to play with the visuals without changing the mechanics, and we saw no change. Now, it's not a no test is a perfect test. Right. So it's, you know, I'm 90% confident in what I'm saying, but that's. Yeah. <laughs> so the can blueprint, always be are wrong. they smaller then? The blueprint are the smaller, smaller. They are thinner. We tried to kind of throw everything at the blueprint to get it where we felt it needed to be in terms of size, and then try to start figuring out which technologies can we now put back in without spoiling the essence of it. So we did bring in some of the heel toe weighting with the, the tip and toe weights. I guess my question on those, the three options then, it, did you go with the smallest one then for, for the blueprint on the yes. testing? Yeah, we did. Interesting. So, and we, you know, we wanted to have a, a good solid difference between iBlade and blueprint because we still have, I, I don't know what the exact number is, but maybe 60, 70% of our tour players are playing iBlade. And then it's, it's that kind of 30, 40% that are moving into blueprints. So it's not something, even at the tour level, it's not something that's for everyone. There's plenty of players that look down and go, all right, that's too small. I don't, <laughs> I don't need to make that small. It tends to be the highest swing speed guys that, that fit into the blueprint. So you said something interesting that you saw a smaller dispersion with it as well. I, I guess my question is, this might be the wrong question, but since they're a little bit less forgiving on off-center strikes, wouldn't the dispersion be larger compared to that? So, yeah, all things being equal. So on the robot, if you delivered delivered exactly the same each time. So that was a robot test? No, that was a player test. But if we were doing it on a robot and all you do is move around the face and keep everything else the same, then the blueprint has a higher dispersion. You know, you get a bigger ball speed drop off on offset to hits. You you get just a bigger change in angles and spin rates because lower inertia means more twisting. But for players, it's more than just that, right? There's that. There's the missing around the face, but then there's also the the missing in terms of varying path and varying face angle. And so for the players in the test, what that was telling us was the better face control and path control was was more than accounting for the worse performance on off-center hits. So it's kind of interesting. It's just, especially for us as a company that was built on moment of inertia, it's an interesting thing to say, yeah, this club that has lower inertia is getting more forgiveness for that player. Not for everyone. You put, we did it just to be sure we did the same blueprint versus a bigger iron test with slightly higher handicap and the results flipped and the higher handicap has definitely got better results with a bigger iron. And we see that all the way up our chain from blueprint to iBrillate to I210 to G410 that depending on the handicap group, depending a little bit on swing speed and really depending on for you as a golfer, is your miss more miss hits around the face or is your miss more face and path? Hmm. And if it's, so for me, actually, I'm not a great golfer, but my miss is more face and path. And so I actually get better results with an I210 iron, sometimes even an iBlade iron than you would guess based on my handicap. But that's my miss is, is a face angle miss. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to this podcast. I just want to jump in with a quick note. If you have not seen our latest project that we just released, it's called Practice Secrets. It is a really simple 14-day challenge that you can go out and do to drastically improve the way that you practice and learn this game to become more efficient and really use your time wiser so you can get better faster. It's our latest training program. Head over to golfsciencelab.com. Click the training button and it's right at the top there. Practice secrets. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. And let's get back to this episode.
let's dive into the wedge testing that you're doing a little bit. Wedges are even harder to test than than drivers, I'm guessing. Yeah. I'm sorry, than irons. Wedges, uh, 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 I guess you, wedges and putters maybe are kind of competing for what's the hardest to test because you're trying to do so many things with them. Yeah. And, and, set, you know, and wedge testing is, is kind of messy, right? The, you don't hit that many full swing wedges, especially when you get into, you know, sand wedge, lob wedge. I think that we're really talking about those clubs. You know, we're, we're now getting more data through Arcos of on-course data. And one of the things that came out really loud and clear when we first started looking at it globally is people hit way more shots in the sort of 20 to 50 yard range out of the rough than anywhere else. And it stands to reason, right? If you miss the green, you don't tend to miss the green and be on the fairway unless you've missed it completely straight and short. You've missed it and you're in rough of one kind or another, whether it's light rough or really nasty stuff. But that chipping out of some kind of rough conditions is is a way bigger deal in terms of your shots with wedges than, say, hitting 50 yarders out of the fairway. But that's way easier to test. And yeah. so a lot of our testing in the past has been on that kind of, if you want to collect nice, pretty data, it's a lot easier to say, right, here we are on the fairway, we're going to put Trackman down and we're going to measure spin on all these shots. But it, it's not really getting to the heart of, is that wedge working for you? Yeah. That's one instance. Well, like, I guess when you think about wedge testing, like as a general golfer, you think about like, all right, I should get this, like find the one at the spin rate that I need. And like, I need to get the bounce right when I'm hitting 50 yard shots from the fairway. Right. Like that's all we think about pretty much. Yeah. I mean, we even, you know, I, we worked a lot with one of our ambassadors, Stan Utley, right. Who knows as much about wedges as you or I will ever forget probably. And I was asking him, how do you decide which wedge is right for you? Like, how do you fit yourself for a wedge? And he was kind of like, I never thought about that. It's <laughs> like, so you've been doing this for 30 years. Like, yeah. And so I said, well, so you must have a process, right? When we come out with a new wedge, you so show me what you do. And what he did was much closer to what we're now trying to do, which is he has in his mind a bunch of different shots. He needs that wedge to be able to perform and he'll kind of scroll through those and he'll write, I need to see this. I need to see that. I need to see this. And he would put himself through a kind of a little bit of a skills challenge. Hmm. So we, we've worked with these guys. Um, they have a company called Game Like Training. But the idea of it is, is basically when you're practicing or when you're learning, put yourself in a, a game-like situation, right? Rather than, all right, I got my target out there. I'm going to hit one. If I mess it up, I'll just rake and grab another. And, and we tended to set up our tests in a similar fashion of like we want to get lots of data so i want you to hit 10 shots to that target but if you're a half decent golfer you start figuring out how to make the club work for you if it, the more chances you get the more you're going to make any club work and it actually ends up washing out the data the first shot you hit with that club is actually the most insightful one because that's the one where you haven't had a chance to to adapt to the club and so our testing now is much more like you get one go at this target and then we're going to put you in a different situation. So you may have been hitting a 50 yarder from the fairway. Your next shot is a 20 yard chip out of the rough and your next shot is a bunker shot. And then, so it's, it's like we're kind of doing a fast track simulation of a whole round of golf, but just the wedges, but it doesn't give you a chance to adapt to the club. And what we found is we can get some better daylight between a club that works for you and a club that doesn't faster even though we're setting up this what seems like a pretty slow and burdensome test we can see differences in the club in like pretty small number of 
shots. It might be kind of eight shots with A and eight with B or something because you're getting more out of each shot. I think like as a, as a golfer going through a fitting, I think my like initial reaction would be, oh, I just flubbed that one or I just hit a bad one. Let me, let me try again real quick so we can get a cleaner shot. Right. Or something like that. You and I'm yourself. sure you hear that all the time. I've got a great example for this. Right. So this, and, 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 and we're, we all do this, but, um, one of the learnings we've had is, is we tended to ask people, how did that club work for you at the end of a test? And we had this feeling for a while of like, I, you know, I, I think we're losing a bit. Like players perception of how a club did them the test is not matching the reality of the data. Hmm. So we started asking the question shot by shot. So you go into a test, how did that shot work for you? And we actually, we've used different systems, but we have the one we were using for this particular test, scale of one to four. So four is that went exactly as I wanted. One is I could not have hit that worse. So there's a particular player. He hit 10 shots total in the test with club A and club B. There were just two wedges. Club A, he had six out of his 10 shots were fours, a couple of threes and a couple of twos. So he was like, Almost every shot he hit was really good. Club B, he had one four, a few threes, a bunch of twos, and a one. I mean, and you looked at the data, you watched, and, and it was night and day difference. Hmm. At the end of the test, how was the performance of those two clubs for you overall? He gave them both the same score. Hmm. And we asked him about it, and he said, well, all the bad shots were me, not the club. You just hit 10 shots with each club and like basically every time, every time you're better with A than B, every time, ah, well, that was me. Hmm. It's amazing how much golfers can kind of, you know, you're, it was good. You're ultimately responsible for the shot. Right. But then when you kind of faced with this, we just did a club test where it could not have been more different, but your response at the end was, I think they were kind of the same <laughs> because each time he did a bad shot, he blamed himself and not the club. And then you look at it in the cold light of day afterwards and you go, well, if I'm the fitter, this isn't even close. Mm. Or if I'm the coach saying, which one of these should you play on the course? What about this? This might be too big picture, but like all the golf shots we hit, I would say are kind of like on a normal distribution curve, right? So we're going to have bad shots. We're going to have great shots. How do you mitigate that? That like, what if during testing you just happen to have all you know like more good shots than bad shots on your yeah it's a real challenge that's why you test with a whole bunch of players for a start and that's why you know ideally we would all of our tests would be with 100 players and each of those players would do the test three days in a row and it would help mitigate a bunch of that you know but at some point you have to have a level of practicality about it but yeah there, there is just random noise so you could do the same two club test every day for five days and have club a win twice and club b win twice and a tie once and if we do our test if we set the test up right with enough players and then that kind of washes out and the result of the test would be you know what they're about the same if there's a real tendency then it should pop out if you do enough tests that's a it's a stats game and that's that's my background but you you can kind of work out what you can and can't prove if you're careful with the stats hmm. What variables are you playing around with, with wedges to improve these results now that you're looking at like the whole picture? You know, there's a lot. I, mean, I think, you know, a big part of it is, is the overall contact with the ball. So the, the surface in, and everything that entails. So the, the grooves themselves, which play a big role in, at least in kind of wet and rough and, and those things, the surface finish. So our kind of chrome plating, the, 
the milling pattern. They all go together mm. in basically giving you a friction of contact in a bunch of different conditions. So that's a whole area where we look at. We do a lot of designer experiments. I mean, fortunately, that's something you can you can kind of keep everything else the same and try out different groove patterns and really start to build some trade-off curves. So if, if I make the edge radius um, sharper, what does it do? If I make it deeper, what does it do? Mm. Groove regulations are complicated enough that every time you change one variable, you have to change another one to stay within mm. the rules. So it's it's kind of a complex design of experiments. The other big piece is just the overall kind of shape, and particularly of the sole, because turf interaction is such a big deal with, with wedges that looking at how do we shape the bottom of the wedge so that when you swing it, it goes to the turf right in a bunch of different grass conditions, right? We're here in Pinehurst right now, totally different experience to hitting wedges in Phoenix. And so the same wedge for the same player might work less well here than it does in Phoenix. Can people do this testing now when they're getting fit for their wedges or, or what's the, what's the kind of message here for? Yeah. So the, the, the two messages, um, one, I, I think, I think they can. I mean, I think it's something that it's not actually, once you understand the general principles and I'm hoping to kind of teach more folks how to do this, it's not that hard to set up a little, if you have a practice screen and you, I brought with me this week, some little flags from home Depot with numbers on them. So you just say, right, shot once from here, shot two from there. You can build a little skills challenge that you could use as a practice tool or you could use as a fitting tool and have people just try club A and club B. I mean, with wedges, try something with more bounce and less bounce and see which one actually gives you more of the more of the better shots. You can do it totally qualitatively. You could we also will look at, you know, proximity to hole. So that's a good way of all right, did I get that one within six feet or 10 feet or whatever level of golfer you are? That's a good way to judge. The other thing is from that testing, we've been able to, you, you then try to find something that you can more easily recreate in the lab. So we kind of came up with this nice little neat test of if you're hitting indoors, just use a spray water bottle and just put a little bit of moisture in the impact in some way. So what we do is just spray the ball a little bit. I know couple of other media folks have tried different variations of this and there's there's lots of ways to run it but basically the message is if you just get a little bit of moisture in there you actually start to see what the groove and what the chrome plating and what the face is doing for you because in the dry you can take any wedge and you'll get loads of spin it doesn't really mm -hmm. matter you get enough surface friction just from you can have a grooveless wedge and spin it just as much in the dry mm -hmm. but putting a little spray bottle in there you can now go in and you know any indoor place could just at least start to see some bigger differences in their wedges. Kind of fun. So I think last time you were on the podcast, uh, your little interesting research you shared was just talking about drivers and uh, moisture and the impact of that, the research you guys had done on that. Any new research like that or any interesting little tips and tricks from, from ping these days? Yeah, that's a good one. I don't know. I mean, I think the the biggest thing we've been working on is is – that same kind of idea, but applied on wedges. Like okay. I just said, with the with the water bottle of of having a quick and easy way to. I mean, you could see like thousands of RPM difference from club to club with that test that you wouldn't have seen if you were just doing in the dry. So that was kind of that was a really fun one. I'm trying to think what else we've been doing. I, one, one we've been working on on putters, which is kind of interesting, is perceptions of performance versus reality of performance. And we did this really interesting test that I'll talk about this week with 
just different face materials of partners or different face treatments or so grooves versus no grooves or insert versus no insert. And just the sound of the putter can completely change a player's perception on how they believe the distance control was working for them. So we did one great test with with faces with no grooves on them and found that players really felt like they were getting much better distance control out of the putt and therefore were putting more confidently. But actually our data was saying the opposite. They were getting a little more variation in speed off the face and therefore roll. But the fact that they perceived it as being better like really helped play into confidence. And so it was this interesting, so what does this mean? A player's going to really pop better with the one that they perceive to be better, or are they going to really pop better with the one that we sort of showed to be mechanically better? And the results ended up being almost identical. So now our plan, you know, the, the next logical question is, can we combine both? If we can get something that has the mechanical advantage, but has the perception alongside it, we should be able to really unlock more performance but it was it was interesting that just the psychology of it was was enough to affect performance it was just an interesting putting testing is is hard yes it's been fun man i always enjoy your studies and insights they're always interesting because it's relevant and like actually real stuff that we can understand and, and apply so thank you for sharing we'll have you back again and we'll see what new research you come up with here in, in a little while all right my pleasure people can follow you on twitter that's probably the best place for folks yeah, that's probably the best place i do a little bit of stuff on on facebook too um so either of those perfect well, folks can follow you on twitter what's your hand is it uh poolwood 79 perfect follow you there thanks again Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. It was really fun to sit down with Paul Wood on this. Make sure to go check out the video, check out the images that we have over on the website, golfsciencelive.com. Along with this, I think you'll enjoy that as kind of a companion to this episode. YouTube channel, Golf Science Lab, is where you can find that as well. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We have more coming every week here on the Golf Science Lab. Thank you for listening. Just really enjoy the support and the feedback. So if you have any thoughts, feel free to follow on Twitter, send a message message, Instagram, our email support at golfsciencelab.com. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Cordy Walker. I was the host for today. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker, and this was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions.